This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. We're going to take a quick break to talk about this week's sponsor. <laughs> I don't. What was that? <laughs> Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 398 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hello, Adam. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm cold and I'm tired. I feel like this week has been just crazy. I I took last week off and that apparently was a mistake. (laughs) Don't ever take time off from the office because you're just always buried. But that's okay. Um, gonna get to the interview stuff in a second, but the reason I wanted to do this intro together because we have like I think we have a lot of things to like cover in December. Like there's one thing we need everyone to finish. Right. That they're doing it, so I want to make sure I cover everything. But do you want to talk about that thing first that we want everyone to do and send us? <laughs> I should have talked about this before we started recording. It's fine. I'm sorry. It's fine. So. We had a reading challenge. We sure did. That we have encouraged everyone to do in 2019. Um, so if you go to our website, our Twitter, where it's bookmarked or whatever, you can get the little sheet. <laughs> Pinned? Pinned. Thank you. Welcome to Twitter, Jill. You're very good at it, actually. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> anyway. Yep. Pinned. It is Pinned. <laughs> There it is. <laughs> our Twitter profile. Um, yeah, so our reading challenge is coming to a close at the end of the year. So you have, like, what, like three weeks left, four mm-hmm. weeks left? I can't do math. That's hard. Um, where you ask, we asked you to read 12 books. Yes? I think that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, we did a good job rehearsing this in and which, talking about it in advance of recording. Ah, the intro in which Adam and Jill also check their pinned tweet. Yes, Mark's I tweet. think. No, um, <laughs> it is. Tw- there were 12, twelve books on it. So there were twelve books on it. Um, and if you have read books that fit all those categories, um, you can fill it out, send it to us, and we're doing a giveaway, and it's gonna be great. Yep, this is the best intro we've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're also going to be doing a 2020 reading challenge backed by popular demand. Um, can't tell you what they're going to be yet because we haven't made it. Nope. But we have a meeting scheduled. Yes, we do. To do that. Um, and so we will announce what that is later in the month. Um, in the upcoming weeks, you also are going to hear a super special interview with Overdrive CEO and founder Steve Potash. And we're going to have uh, Best Audiobooks of 2019 with Robin Witten from Audiophile Magazine, which we just recorded today. And we're definitely going to share our best books. Correct. And I think those might be – and then some other interviews and, and things. I think that's it. That escaped me. My dad keeps asking about the, the best books of the year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He keeps asking. He's like, you're going to do one, right? Because I really like those. I'm really excited to see <laughs> – That's dad. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm really excited to see if we have – because what we have done in the past, like we'll each put five on there, which makes a top ten list. Mm-hmm. I'm really interested to see. Obviously, we show those to each other ahead of time so that we have ten. Right. 
I'm interested to see if we have any that overlap. I feel like we might this year. Um, and you already mentioned if people want to get a hold of us at ProBookNerds, all that jazz. Actually, I don't know if I actually said that part. Oh, well, go ahead. How about you do that part? Where our pinned tweet is. <laughs> yeah, that's what you're going to find out. ProBookNerds. <laughs> I don't think I actually said the, uh, the uh, yeah, so at ProBookNerds uh, on Twitter and Instagram. You can go to our website, professionalbooknerds.com. The reading challenge is there. Mm-hmm. And you can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com if you want to tell us how Stella's and Joe is today. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to be like, well, I was going to say how much I loved your podcast, but boy, howdy, was that intro tough. Um, today's episode is an interview I did with Kate Reculia about a week ago. Kate wrote a book called Tuesday Mooney Talks to Ghosts, which is one of the most fun books I've read in a long, long time. Uh, I got to tell her how I describe it, and she actually really liked it, which is it's sort of like if Ready Player One was for book nerds instead. Then we get into all about the book. Also, I told her that she needs to write more books in this world so she could call it the Tuesday Mooniverse, which she also really liked. Like it. Like it. I'm very proud of myself for that. Um, but yeah, the book is so fun, and we get all all up into it. And also, she's a part-time librarian, so we, of course, nerd out about libraries. Um we get all sorts of authors on here that have either heard of Overdrive or have never heard of Overdrive or everything in between or the ones that are like super fans and use us all the time. She was one of those, so which is nice. In fact, one of her jobs is to promote Overdrive and Libby at her library. So Same. made the introduction for the two of us very, very easy. Um, is there anything else that you think people should know about? I don't – this is – I think that's everything. I think that's everything too. All right. Well, I won't <laughs> – keep this train wreck or train ride going any longer i'll let you guys enjoy this interview with the wonderful and fabulous kate reculia on the professional book nerds podcast hey everybody it's adam again and i cannot tell you how excited i am for this particular conversation i am joined today on the phone by kate reculia who is a novelist living in bethlehem pennsylvania She's the author of the novels This Must Be the Place and Bellwether Rhapsody, which was the winner of the American Library Association's Alex Award. And her latest novel, Tuesday Mooney Talks to Ghosts, is now available, and it was named as a Kirkus Best Book of 2019 and October 2019 Indie Next Pick, an October 2019 Library Read Selection, and most <laughs> importantly for our listeners here, it's one of my favorite books of the year. So, Kate, thank you for joining us today. Oh, my goodness. You're welcome. Thank you. That was like... Like, hearing that list of um, best things is, like, slightly surreal (laughs) and very exciting. Well, listen, I'm going to tell you, I cut off that list at, like, half because I didn't want to, like, spew a million of them. There's so many of it, and they're so, so well-earned. This book is so much fun. So I'm going to let you kick us off by maybe introducing our listeners to Tuesday Moody Talks to Ghosts. Okay, so it is... um, I like to write books that are sort of a high genre concept and then populate them with relatively realistic characters. I love creating characters. So it's sort of like, I like to build this like, you know, schematic for them to like crawl over and be like messy human weirdos inside. So so this book is built on an adventure quest kind of Indiana Jones sort of genre framework where there's, um, and it, it, but it's set in Boston. It's set in 2012. It's a recognizably real-ish, you know, kind of heightened world. Um, and an incredibly wealthy man who is very kooky. His name is Vincent Price, Price of the Y, so not the same. <laughs> but he, he dies at a fundraiser 
spectacularly. It's a very dramatic death. <laughs> and in his will, he leaves a game for the people of Boston to play. He invites them to just like participate and solve these clues and hunt around the city. So Tuesday Mooney is this kind of introverted loner character um, who has one of my old jobs. I was a prospect researcher. She is a prospect researcher in fundraising, which you can talk about the way that like my work experience <laughs> experiences influence the plot of this novel. But basically, she is a person who does not ask people for money, but she um, writes dossiers on wealthy people. So she is kind of the perfect occupation for an amateur detective. She's actually at the event where this guy dies, and she kind of gets sucked into this hunt uh, with some of her compatriots. And, and yeah, so it's a, it's a book about uh, work. It's a book about wealth. It's a book about, you know, being an adult and kind of feeling like, oh, I guess this is all there is. But, no, there's still more to discover. Um, and also, like, what is, what is treasure? What, what, are you, what are you looking for out of your life? You nailed that. We you, we were just we were talking about ahead of time before we started recording that you haven't really like done like a, an intro intro too many times. You nailed that. That was perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much. I feel like every time I do it, I get a little better. So I have been the way that I describe it to people is um, it's like Ready Player One for book nerds, but with fully yes. developed characters as opposed to like the one beat ones Yay. that are in there. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't, I don't mean to be, like, shady about Ready Player One, but I read it, and I was like, that was nice. <laughs> yeah, they're, like, all the characters are completely, like, as soon as you finish Ready Player One, which, don't get me wrong, any, long-time listeners of the podcast will know, Jill and I love that book, but, like, I can't yeah. really remember any specific person in the book. I can just remember, right. like, the concept. So, your, you take that concept, and then the kind of treasure hunt is based around Edgar Allan Poe stuff. So... Why, why Edgar Allan Poe, first off? <laughs> well, so Poe, I mean, part of it is that, like, I, I love scary movies. I love camp. I love kitsch. I really got into the Vincent Price, Roger Corman, uh, Poe movies. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen them, but they're so 60s. They're sort of like a develop, developmental stage in, like, horror cinema, where they're not particularly scary to, to modern eyes, but there's something about them that's so charming, and they're, like, these bright, saturated, technicolor kind of lurid arch, you know, Vincent Price twiddling his mustache type stuff. So I really, I like, I love that aesthetic. And I also like Poe is such a, I encountered him very young. My mother was a third grade teacher and she had one of those old like LPs of like scary stories that she would like play for her classroom around like um, Halloween time. Mm -hmm. And one of the stories on that was the Telltale Heart. So I heard that very young and was just captivated by it. Um, and, And he was like, like, before I read Stephen King, I read Poe, right? Like, mm-hmm. and, and there's just something so twisted. <laughs> and and he also, I don't think necessarily of characters when I think of him. I don't, and I don't think of, like, like, I also love The Addams Family. I saw that movie at a very tender age. Like, whenever it came out, I, I saw it. It was, like, probably nine or ten. Mm-hmm. And the sense of, like, gleeful delight in the macabre, like, it's just, like, a building block of my personality. <laughs> so when I wanted to set it in... Well, I wanted to tell this sort of, like, adventure story, and I knew it was going to be in Boston, and I knew it was going to be in October. I was like, well, that is the most, like, gothic month <laughs> to write about. So so all of these things, like, things that I loved and kind of, like, it felt very seasonally appropriate. And, like, yeah, Poe was born in Boston, but, like, he straight up hated Boston. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I just, there was something about, it's interesting, I researched Poe a little bit when I was, like doing my research for this book, I thought at one point he might be a little bit larger of like a of like a guiding figure in it. 
But, like, he was a difficult person. It's <laughs> 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 not that I don't think we should celebrate difficult people, but mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going it's, to, it's like, look at Poe's aesthetics and, like, what he has inspired other people to create. Um, rather than kind of like saying, wow, Edgar Allan Poe, what a great guy. Uh, uh, <laughs> by the way, we have so many like life touch points that apparently yeah. run parallel. My mother taught third and fourth grade for 40 years. What? Uh-huh. Oh, oh my gosh. Wow. And um, <laughs> so I remember speaking of those movies, I remember watching Edward Scissorhands when I was way too young to see it. And it oh, creeped yeah. me out and gave me that same like, interest in the macabre and now i love um all like the classic like you said vincent price and like boris karloff movies like all those kitschy old um Mm -hmm, movie mm -hmm. monsters i was just like going through like point by point i'm like and we have this in common and we have this in common (laughs) um yeah when i was really little i remember overhearing my uncle uh when little shop of horrors came out in theaters and i remember him like talking about the scene where they were just members uh or in scrivello the dentist mm-hmm. and like him laughing about it because it is it is a comic scene but me being like seven or eight being like that's so horrifying <laughs> but like tell me more i i just remember um after we watched edward scissorhands i want to say i was like let's see it came out in 1990 so i was like four or five when we when it came out um oh, i yeah, remember wa- definitely yeah i remember <laughs> seeing it like with my parents and like i was like crawling under the windows so that no one outside would see me and like to this day i still don't love walking by like open windows at night i'm like anytime i see a house that the windows are open that i walk by with my dogs at night that i can see in i'm like why are you doing that anyone can see in your house what are you doing <laughs> oh. oh it's so funny the things that like we encounter like you know, I was also, I was, um, so I was born in 1980, and I saw all, like, the Dark Crystal and Labyrinth oh, yeah. and, like, all of those sort of, like, nightmare fuel kind of <laughs> things, but I loved them, but um, the Witch and the Wicked Witch of the West terrified me, mm-hmm. and and uh, hearing, you know, about dismembering the dentist terrified me, yeah. <laughs> but, like, these are things that I end up absolutely loving, like, I love scary movies, and it was the process of encountering the thing being fascinated by the thing and then like understanding the thing and coming to love it you, you know what's weird is i um i'm the youngest of i was born in 1986 but i'm the youngest of four so like all of my cultural like touch points are it is like i adore jim henson and i saw the dark crystal yeah. way earlier than i should and, like the puppet stuff never scared me it was never that stuff that like creeped me out and like by all you know by all rights hoggle should have been a horror right. for me but it just wasn't um <laughs> it just wasn't yeah yeah so when you were putting together because what people will discover pretty quickly in the novel is you know we mentioned i mentioned uh ready player one because in the sense that there's these multi there's different types of clues that are very Poe-centric. So you mentioned yeah. doing a little bit of research. So when you were building out those various clues, I guess just like, what was that process like for you? Did you know sort of what clues you wanted? Like, how did you go about putting those together? I knew what places I wanted there to be these sort of like set piece scenes. And all of the the places that Tuesday ends up looking for these things, like she goes into the tea tunnels. Um, there's an underground theater, which is a real place in Boston. Um, all of these sort of places, and like there's scenes in the in the BPL, Boston Public Library, and the Somerville Public Library. I love libraries. <laughs> <laughs> like all of those, like I kind of did um, research about place uh, to to be familiar with what those places were like. And I haven't been in the underground theater under the Steiner Building, but I've seen there are videos about it on YouTube. I've watched those. I've read about it. A lot of that is imagined. 
So that was the kind of research that I did. It's sort of like I lived in Boston for 11 years. I wrote this book after I left it and was just wanting to both kind of travel back there in my mind, get my Boston down on paper, because that Boston's already gone. I've been gone for five years, mm-hmm. and, like, it, time moves on. Um, so I wanted to get that down on paper. I wanted to remind myself of what those 11 years meant to me and just process what my experiences were. A lot of the research, like I said, I looked at post up because there's some cool Poe letters and correspondence um, in the archives at the Boston Public Library, which is really neat, and which is why I was like, Poe, you're just <laughs> making it so hard for yourself, dude. Like, you're making it really hard for people to like you and help you. <laughs> Yeah, by all accounts, not a great human, for sure. No, not a great human, but, like, such a great, like, twisted imagination that, like, I can't deny, but also, like, I don't want to hang out with him I, yeah. <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. But uh, so I knew, I, I knew where I wanted these clues to be, and then, like, I knew kind of what post stories I loved and wanted to, like, premature burial, like, stuff that's under the ground, stuff that's rotting. Um, there's a really creepy story called Berenice. It's a Berenice, Bernice, I think it's Berenice. Mm-hmm. It's about like teeth mm-hmm. <laughs> that I didn't get to put in there, but like, I don't know, maybe in another book. Yeah. <laughs> I was speaking of this book. I was just going to say, I, I feel like ha- getting to interview so many authors at this point and read so much, I, I feel like I can sort of pick out books that were, um, very, challenging for people to write but this just seemed and correct me if i'm wrong but this book just seemed like a lot of fun to, like i just imagined you like giggling and smiling to yourself the whole time while writing this book oh i i did and i mean it was a fun book to write so i moved in 2014 i'll back up here i moved from boston to Bethlehem, pennsylvania in 2014 and was like i'm gonna take the leap and be a freelancer and be self-employed <laughs> and um and i i definitely spiraled for a while it's a big change <laughs> to like professionally make that change to move to a new place i have dear friends who live here in bethlehem so like thank god at that uh it's like a uh, like an anchor, an anchor point, but I was writing a book and I gave it to my editor, not my editor, my agent. Um, and she was like, are you okay? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> but she was right. She was right. And I was like, no, I'm not okay. So, and, but she's like, you know what, when you talk about this other book, this like lady Indiana Jones in Boston, like you light up, you get excited, you get happy, mm-hmm. go write that book. So she's right. And I did. And I mean, I was writing it in like 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, not easy years. If you are a compassionate, empathetic person <laughs> who like wants to believe that uh-huh. there's some good humanity, <laughs> like, so, you know, I was, I was kind of going through it when I wrote this book. And as much as the book feels coherent and joyful, like that was a very deliberate attempt to to just, like, believe that that kind of a world is possible, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and and it was, like, I loved my life in Boston. So in many ways, it was easy for me to imagine this sort of, like, gothic, spirited, um, joyful, adventurous feeling pervading the book as I wrote that. Were there parts that you had to wrestle with a little bit, like, throughout the story? Oh, God, yes. Yeah, the third act changed dramatically. Mm-hmm. I wrote, I rewrote this one probably. Usually, I'll write like like a I write a first draft that's like a crazy kitchen sink. Like every crazy idea I possibly have goes into it, and then when I revise, I'll like make it more coherent and be mm-hmm. like, that's maybe one of your more like extra impulses. Just pull it back a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm I'm kind of an extra person, so. 
so that but that usually it's not like wholesale throughout the last 100 pages and this mm. one I threw out the last 100 plus pages multiple times oh my um, God. and I yeah and I think that was just because my kind of my ambition was outstripping my skills <laughs> <laughs> at this moment and also I mean thinking of it on an Indiana Jones template like I was trying to write a trilogy in one book and it's like okay calm down like just write one make it self-contained Raiders is a perfect film in and of itself it does not need the others even though they're also wonderful yeah but Temple of Doom feels like it goes on forever (laughs) Temple of Doom I have such a soft spot for that terrible terrible movie (laughs) it's so uh, I don't want to call it bad because I love all three of them but right it's not good it's not good. No, by objective metrics, it's not a good movie. It's like super, like culturally tone deaf at best, racist at worst. Oh. Like, and and it's not like like the the first one is like this perfectly oiled machine, and that one is just like this weird like mm-hmm. <laughs> like thrill ride to doom, yeah. literally. Um, <laughs> but I saw it when I had the chicken pox. Um, I watched that movie, like, again and again and again. And, it, it, you know what? It was really the first horror movie. It's more of a horror movie than yeah. an adventure movie. Um, and it was the first one of those that I had ever seen, so I was, like, completely fascinated by it. All right. I'll 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 allow that. I will say um, <laughs> my wife and I like to do, in the rare times when we have a free day, which I think is, like, once every decade, um, we will do... Like, we'll have a movie day, and we'll we'll pick a theme. So we've done all three of the original Star Wars trilogy. We did all three of the original Indiana Jones. And then we'll pick, like, uh, a random actor. We'll do, like, a John Candy day or, like, a Bill Murray day. So we ha- we did watch all three Indiana Jones, and I specifically remember both of us in the middle of Temple of Doom being like, why do we like this movie? There's a lot going on. <laughs> right? But. And, like, there's plot holes. Like, stuff happens. But, like, like, Willie gets away at some point, and then she's, like, <laughs> yeah, like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, um, <laughs> it was shoddily put together. So I, I, um, I will ask this. Hopefully, but not not expecting anything. Are you planning on writing more books in the Tuesday Mooney world? I have ideas. Um, for in that way where I was trying to like write a trilogy in the first book like I definitely have concepts for what I would want the second book to be like and about and what I would want the third book to be like um but I and I am working on something now but it is not that (laughs) it's sort of like I need like a Chris Nolan like like palette cleanser between Mm -hmm. my Batman yeah (laughs) well listen I'm not telling you that you need to do it but I'm just gonna I'm very good at name naming things so I mean it's just it's the Tuesday Mooniverse like it's right there it's just oh oh yeah. That's so now, good. Mm-hmm. now you have to write it. Now I do have to write it. And yeah, this is actually, this is funny. So Bellwether Rhapsody takes, well, all my books kind of take place in the same universe as like my little MCU. And, and in some ways, like there are characters that like cross over in small ways. Mm-hmm. And this is what I learned, you know, at the altar of Stephen King, mm-hmm. um, reading those books growing up. But I, but I was trying to think of a name for it and the Tuesday Mooniverse is really good. Thank, yes. <laughs> thank you. I, I will, I like that. I think it's important to know your flaws, but also your skills. And one of my skills is coming up with cheesy names for things. So you can take that. It's all yours. I, I will let you have it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Taking it to the bank. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're going to take a quick break to talk about today's sponsor, Impossible Parking, shoulder-to-shoulder shoppers at the mall, intense hand-to-hand combat for the last toy in stock. Holiday shopping for kids in your life doesn't have to be this stressful. 
Thankfully, Literati is the subscription book club that makes it easy for finding interesting, unique books your kids will love. And for the first time ever, and just in time for the holidays, you can give a single Literati box. Each of the eight limited edition gift boxes contains five world-renowned books based on a theme inspired by the kids who make our spirits bright. They also contain original artwork and stickers with your child's name. They're also super cute little stickers. They're <laughs> so cute. And I don't know about you, but I am definitely one of those people who gives books as gifts because we are professional book nerds. And I feel like as an adult, it can be kind of tricky to look at another adult and say, hey, read this book. Yep. But you know who loves getting books for Christmas and Hanukkah and Kwanzaa and any other holiday you might be celebrating? Kids. Kids love this stuff. So you definitely want to look into this. There's nothing better than handing them this incredibly gorgeous literati box of all these books and this artwork and it's all customized for them and it's, it's beautiful. It's so fun. I know. And we have a special offer that Jill's going to tell you about. We do. So this year, to give the gift of stories, go to literatibooks.com and use promo code PROBOOKNERDS for $20 off your first box. Plus, kids three and up get a special blacklight pen. That's literatibooks.com. Promo code PROBOOKNERDS for $20 off your first box. Um, so you mentioned your love for for libraries, and because we are, I work at a library company, I can't not talk about it. So you currently work in a library, correct? I do, yes. I work at the Bethel Mary Public Library. It is the most perfect part-time job I will ever have. I Part of my time I spend, um, I, my undergrad degree is actually in illustration and design, so part of the time I spend doing marketing and make flyers and social media graphics and press releases and stuff for our terrific programs and services. And the other half of the time I do fundraising stuff. I work with our volunteer groups. I write appeal letters and um, help coordinate community fundraisers. And it's the most like, like I personally love getting to use those particular skill sets that I have, met, you know, come up through my professional life with. But also like I just love serving the library it's an amazing library um and it just makes me feel like i'm helping <laughs> wonderful i feel very grateful to work there somebody uh somebody recently i was on like another podcast talking about overdrive and they described my job in the book world as a unicorn because of the things i get to do and like i feel like that what you just described for you it's oh, like absolutely. the unicorn job yeah it's a straight up like i have a very particular set of skills kind of job <laughs> like it's really perfect um, I want to go th- so in your in your bio on your website you also have some other jobs that you have done and I want to go through them because I'm super interested. Oh, yeah. Planetarium operator? Yeah, when I was a teenager, so I grew up in Syracuse, New York, um, and my high school job was I worked in the gift shop and then I also like during the summer volunteered at the Museum of Science and Technology. And when I was a volunteer, one of the things I did was run the planetarium. It's basically self-running. It was the mid to late 90s, so it was like a cassette tape. You had to rewind the cassette tape, <laughs> which was just like a recording of, uh, you know, it was like, it was the summer, it was the summer sky, so it was the summer constellations, and I would, I would rewind that, I would set the, set the star globe, I didn't remember what it was called, <laughs> back to, you know, where it was supposed to be, and then when you got to the points on the tape during the shows, when you would discuss the constellations, I would get my little laser pointer and like point out the constellations. Oh my God. <laughs> It was a pretty rad job. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, my high school job was pouring concrete. I'm extremely jealous. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It was, I, real, it was a great job. <laughs> oh, um, I want to go to some more of these. Okay, you also a movie and music reviewer? Yeah, so I was 
So I also, when I was a teenager, I mean, I, what? I missed the newspapers of yore. Yeah. So there was a teen supplement in the Herald Journal, which was the nightly newspaper, which no longer exists. They just have the Post Standard, which is the morning newspaper now. But the Herald Journal, every Thursday, there was a supplement um, called HJ, short for Herald Journal, that was written entirely by high school students. And I was the high school correspondent, one of the high school correspondents for my, I went to Lafayette uh, Junior Senior High School. And yeah, I would review, review movies and CDs and would write articles and like I would get paid $15 per review. And I think it was 30 per article, which I would still now in this age of like <laughs> writing for free on the internet consider, wow, that was pretty decent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, so, so I did that, yep. What type of music are we talking here? Oh, straight up bare naked ladies. Like, oh, very, yes. like <laughs> Central New York, almost Canada, 90s pop <laughs> oh man this is amazing yep. okay so you also have slung coffee it looks like here yep yep i worked at there was a coffee shop in syracuse i was there when i was in college i worked at i worked at a bunch of different barnes and nobles in my life and i the, the first time that i worked in a cafe at the barnes and noble was the night that the fifth harry potter book came <gasps> out that was a trial by fire <laughs> oh my god that's amazing. I mean, it's it's sort of amazing, I guess. It's probably not amazing at the, at the time. Well, but it, but at the time it was though. It's sort of like it was a party, and in some ways they're like, "You're new. We're not going to like expect too much from you. Just like be part of this and like go crush that frappuccino or whatever you did with <laughs> them." <laughs> I this is another one of our touch points. I while I was in college, um, there there used to be. I don't think they're around anymore, but they called them the cheer and chill patrols for Starbucks. Or basically, if you went to um like black friday shopping or if you went to uh like a rib cook-off or something you would see people handing out little samples of starbucks like test drinks i yep like tiny little (laughs) yeah like the little there'd be like a little tiny like purple frappuccino that they were just kind of testing in markets so i ran one of those teams so same thing like i had to wake up for on black friday i had to go hand out little tiny cups of peppermint mocha at like four in the morning at a uh, the outside of a mall while everyone was like in their pajamas I had to be like the well it's a beautiful morning welcome here's a Starbucks drink like <laughs> pretending I didn't want to die yeah I mean that peppermint mocha frappuccino was legit though well yeah I mean it was <laughs> it was delicious but after like your 900th little shot of them you're just like I don't ever want to taste this again <laughs> Like nothing has meaning anymore. Please make it stop. Yeah. Um, so because you are working part time and then you're also writing, like, what is your writing schedule like when you're working on a novel? Like, do you do weekends, mornings? Like, kind of, how do you go about the process? It took a long time to kind of figure out what my new process is here because I'm not one of those people who can write every day. I mean, it makes sense. I wrote my first two books on weekends working full time. So I spent almost a decade like building this writing practice of like, think about it, never not be thinking about it really, but like do other things, give your, you know, give your brain time off to like exercise in other ways. And then when it's the weekend, just like concentrate and like bust out three or four hours at a time. So um, now that I have more space in my schedule, I work 15 hours at the library um, and I'll teach online. I teach for Grub Street, um, which is a writing center in Boston mm-hmm. online. So, so that if I have a class going on, I'll kind of um, get that in like Tuesday mornings, Wednesday afternoons. And then I have like four days. I have Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I will write in the mornings about three of those days, um, depending on other things that are going on. And yeah, like after like two o'clock, I'm kind of like tapped for writing. So I'll do emails or I'll read or I'll do other stuff. 
Um, but I can't, I can't write every day. It's not good. <laughs> no, but honestly, like that's, that's really, I'm sure that's really helpful for people to hear because yeah, you know, it's, it, it's such a challenging thing, especially right, we're recording this in November and, you know, it's NaNoWriMo yeah. and, um, I'm writing every day. I'm definitely not trying, not worry about hitting like the 50,000 words or anything, but like it can be a struggle. And then if you start taking a day or two off, like you can start to feel guilty. So it's, I'm sure it's good for yeah. people to hear, like, you don't have to do this every single day. No, no, you don't. And that's the thing that's so like, it's, there, there, there are a couple of things that I've discovered. It's so easy to not write a, so like, just don't give up, but also like, it's so easy to, once you fall off the horse, just feel like, oh, I should just keep lying on this ground. Like, no, (laughs) like, it's okay. Like be kinder, be kinder to yourself. Understand that like, it is a marathon. And the important thing is that you just like, even if you're not writing every day that you, you are taking it seriously, it is in some ways kind of like something you think about every day, something you care about every day. Mm -hmm. So when you are, when you do take off and you're doing some reading, like what's the type of books that you like to read? Um, I read all kinds of books. Like I recently have started reading more nonfiction, which is weird that like I just never read nonfiction Mm -hmm. until like (laughs) maybe like five years ago. Um, Right now I'm reading Empty Mansions um, and I can't think of who the author's name is. He's a journalist. It's about um, this incredibly wealthy uh, like Rockefeller level uh, it's not fiction, um, family dynasty where the last living daughter, his last living daughter recently passed away after the age of a hundred. And she owns all these unbelievable mansions where she has not visited in like multiple years, but she has always paid people to like keep them up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, it's, so that's fascinating. Um, but I love, if I'm reading for comfort, I love murder mysteries. Um, I love P.D. James. Like, I just, like, love to just, like, go into that brain and, like, be in that brain. It's a very comforting, comforting, intelligent place to be. Um, I love your Stephen King's, um, you know, in terms of, like, scary-type comfort books. Uh, But I just read um, uh, my year of rest and relaxation. I'm just, like, looking at the various piles of books around my room. That's, That's, like, one of the most recent books that I read that I was like, oh, it was so good. Um, by Atessa Moshfeg, I might be pronouncing her name incorrectly, mm-hmm. and Severance, I just reread that by Ling Ma, awesome. Mm-hmm. So I love to read, I love books that are in some ways um, genre-bound, but are always expanding what those genres can contain mm-hmm. in some way. Yeah. So you mentioned Murder Mystery, I, ha- I have to ask, because yeah. it's one of the best ones I've ever read. Have you read The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle? No, I have not. Okay, I've heard so, of it, though. Yes, yeah, Stuart Holden. <laughs> and uh, so he was on our podcast, like, oh, my God, I think it might have been last year at this point. Time time flies. But it's um, it's like it, it's like if you took an Agatha Christie book and then, like, folded three more Agatha Christie books on top of it. It is uh, phenomenal. I will say, if you're going to read it, try to read it quickly, like, over a, a day or a few days, because there's so much going on that if you... It's not one of those books you can, like, read half of and then come back a week later and finish it, because you'll just f- you'll forget everything. But it's amazing. <laughs> that sounds incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Highly rec- And then, speaking of, you mentioned Murder Mysteries. I'm a... Uh, about to reread uh, Hercule Poirot's Christmas for like the hundredth time by Agatha uh, Christie. Just like, you know, it's that time. Of course. Yeah, it's that time of year. Exactly. It is. It's seasonal. 
Um, so, at the end of our conversations, we like to do what we call the Nerd Nine. So, these are just kind of nine lighthearted questions. Not that anything else I asked you is super hard-hitting, but... I know, it's like hard-charging. Yeah, oh, it sounds fun. Yeah, okay, so the first one, you, pr- you kind of answered it, but we always start with, what's the last book you finished reading? Um, actually, the very last book I finished reading was The Thornbirds, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I had never read before, mm-hmm. and I was, like, kind of captivated by it. It was pretty great. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite place to read? Um, I love to read either on my couch with a cat nearby, or I read before I go to bed every night. Like, mm-hmm. that's just a very comforting ritual that I do. So, bed or couch. <laughs> I am so bad at reading before bed. I, like, pa- I just pass out. I just, like, I just fall. So it's like... <laughs> I'm kind of an insomniac, but if I try to read in my bed, it's I'm done for. It's tough. You're just done. That's it. You're yeah. out. Um, do you remember the book that made you fall in love with reading? Mm. I remember the first book I ever read. And yeah, yeah I guess I could say, because I remember being like, well, I can do this on my own. This is magnificent. It was Benicula by James Howe. Ah, I love Benicula. What a good pick. Same. Uh, yeah. <laughs> is there, what's one place you'd like to travel that you have not yet been to? Oh, I have not been to Loch Ness. I would really like to go there. Do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? I feel like I know this answer. Oh, for sure Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> Most <laughs> definitely. I was say, if you had said anything that wasn't Halloween, this entire conversation had been a lie. For like Arbor Day. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you a coffee person or a tea person? Um, I like both, but definitely coffee. This My books don't happen without coffee. <laughs> 100%. Uh, cats or dogs? I love all animals, but cats, as I, like, again, I, where I'm sitting right now, there are literally, like, eight piles of books and two cats. Uh, like, I just see all those things in my line of sight. That is fair. Uh, do you have a favorite food? Hmm. A favorite? You know, I love to eat, like, point blank, but I would <laughs> have to say for... I love peanut butter because I've never had anything that like the introduction of peanut butter did not make it transcendent like peanut butter and chocolate or peanut butter and jelly um I guess those are the only two things I can think of right now but (laughs) I'm gonna say peanut butter (laughs) are you a crunchy person or smooth this isn't one of the normal nine questions oh this is like a sub a sub nine uh, yeah um (laughs) I actually grew up with smooth and then as I've gotten older I've experimented with like more like natural peanut butters and like crunchy uh-huh. ones oh you know what the best peanut butter is exactly. um whole foods where you can go grind your own honey roasted peanut butter uh-huh. oh yes it's so good I'm, I have a whole foods right by my house I'm gonna go do this this weekend because I've never done it myself oh, yeah, like Oh, go do it. Yeah, grind, you grind your peanut butter yourself and you get like a nice like pink lady apple and just like dip it in there. Oh my God, it's so good. So <laughs> there is a place where, see, I, I told you we were going to get sidetracked and that's okay. There is a place here in <laughs> Cleveland where, we're, where I'm from called Happy Dog and it's literally, it's like a hot dog place. And even for vegetarians like myself, they have like a veggie dog, but they have like 55 toppings you can put on your hot dogs and it's a flat price. It's like seven bucks for the hot dog. They don't charge you whatever you put on. And one of the things that they have is crunchy peanut butter. And people uh, love it on a hot dog. I mean, I can see that, right? Because you've got the the texture of the crunchy peanut butter. You've got the sweetness and the saltiness of the hot dog. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. See, people are either grossed out by it or they're on board. I haven't done that one yet, but I, I, I'll do it and I'll, I'll report back. Yes, please. Please do. <laughs> okay, okay, last one of these. If you could have dinner with one person alive or dead, who would you pick? 
I would say, I mean, in the spirit of this book, I'm going to pick Vincent Price. I think he was like a really good dude. I feel like <laughs> I that would, would be, be a, a fun meal. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that would be a really fun meal to have for sure. Yeah, and just like stories about Hollywood for days. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure he would be like a very amenable gossip too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. Last question for you. What do you hope readers take away from Tuesday Mooney Talks to Ghosts? I hope that they are entertained by it. I hope they're engrossed by it. And I hope that it does sort of, like, give them, you know, a measure of, like, you can, like, where are you in your life? And, like, could you imagine something that you're not currently, like, going for? Could you imagine yourself going for it? That is perfect. Kate, this was so much fun. Thank you for joining me today. You are so welcome. This was fun. Thank you. (laughs) Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Rakuten Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.